Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got an NFC East win to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 381. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so we can break down the Eagles' huge win over the Washington football team on Tuesday Night Football. What were our big takeaways from the film, and what will this team see on a quick turnaround this Sunday against the New York Giants? Greg and I are going to have you covered right at the top of the show. Before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on number one make sure you head on over to our apple podcast page leave us a rating leave us a review if you've got a question for us that is the place to leave it we will answer it here on an upcoming episode also make sure you go check out the journey to the draft podcast myself Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, Ross Tucker, Eric Galco. We have great guests each and every week. This week, I welcome Justice Mosquito. does a great job breaking down defensive linemen in both college and the NFL. And we get into some of the top linemen in this NFL draft. And I tell you, it is a great draft class for defensive line. And so we get into that with Justice this week on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Now, before we get to the start of this show, I caught up with Eagles left tackle Jordan Mailata this week on Eagles game plan for some tape study. Here are some of my favorite bites from that interview. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, Fran. And I guess first things first, as an offensive lineman, when I've talked with linemen in the past, they'll say, look, you know, my family, they don't always see the base blocks. They don't always see the double team blocks. But when I get out on the move as a puller, that's where my family and friends, they get to see me out on the football field more often. Yeah, it's kind of like the rugby days again, being out in the open <laughs> field and pulling. What have you learned most from Lane? When you reflect back on your career, a guy that obviously has been here for you since day one, clearly someone who plays with a ton of emotion like yourself as well, as we see on this play. I think the biggest thing that I've learned from Lane is to kind of have patience and also play with heart, man. Lane plays with a lot of heart. That's just the one thing I've learned from Lane, having that passion and, and holding yourself accountable to, you know, if you if you know you're great and you're performing great and you get it's backed by the numbers. There's no reason why we should be falling short every week. So that's one thing I learned from him. Another guy that has had so much success in the screen game over the course of his career, Jason Kelsey, and with his athleticism, both of you guys, such unique skill sets, and you do it in much different uh, body <laughs> types. Uh, what have you learned most from, from Jason over the course of your career? Heart, man. Jason Kelsey's got the most heart out of anyone that I know. Just the pure grit that he plays with every week, to to have the passion that he has for the game, the love that he has for his teammates. Not many people know, man. Jason Kelsey makes everybody right, not just on the O-line. He makes everybody right. Receivers, QBs, tight ends. You know, he's a very smart player. And then when you see the passion and the grit, the heart that he plays with, you know, it's very inspiring. And so one thing I've learned from Jason Kelsey is how to be a leader. Mm. You see it. It's very infectious. It's inspiring. And you know, I think for me, it, it's kind of the player I want to embody myself as. The guy's the mayor of Philly, whether he knows it or not. <laughs> and that's the thing is whenever you talk to anybody about Jason, mm-hmm. it's always not necessarily the, the toughness that we all see in games, but it's throughout the process. It's throughout the spring and the summer and during the week in November when it's 20 degrees outside and you don't yeah. feel like getting up. Uh, Jason always there uh, pushing everybody along. Yeah, he really is, man. He really is. He's he's always there. 
When you talk about that athleticism, I mean, so often, guys, it's, you have the ability to get from point A to point B, but then having that athleticism, you've got that as well to be able to track a moving target and stay under control and finish out in space. That's a, that's a really, really difficult thing to do. Yeah, that's one thing I'm still trying to learn from you know, Kelsey, just watching his film and then practicing with him. It's just a thing of beauty. You just see how he pulls with speed and control and able to finish. Take two, like, look at that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's consistent. Insane. This goes back years that he's been doing this. Yeah, the four years that I've been here, it's just insane. He does this every year. Look at him. He's had to go back for more. That's what I mean. You know, that's why I play the way I play now is because I see things like that for curls, and that stuff fires me up, to be honest. And this was uh, from a couple weeks ago here against the New York Jets, where, once again, uh, same kind of deal. And what you're always seeing from Jason Kelsey. And I think the one thing that's always kind of undersold with him as well, everybody sees these plays out in space, but we don't always talk about what he can do basically in the trenches, matched up, whether it's a drive block one-on-one, working with double teams uh, with his guards. And I feel like this play against Denver, you really get a sense of his ability to displace defensive tackles. We don't talk about that enough on the outside. Yeah, you just look at that. Like, the gap that he creates is just insane. And I think, you know, for Kels, he knows that he's not the biggest center of them all, but he knows about hard work. He knows about his body. He understands his body. He understands how to manipulate it so he can pull off these blocks. And so I think once you get a great understanding of your body, you can do so much, and Kelsey's proof of it. Yeah, another example here on a touchdown for Kenny Gainwell. When you guys are able to... Oh, look at that beautiful block. Oh, my days. Him and Isaac, man, I swear, the most technical sound people I've ever played with in my life. How long does it take you to get to that point? Uh, so you feel like, I feel really comfortable, where it's almost second nature, it's muscle memory at that point. Yeah, I think once you play next to the player that, like, over and over again, you can get that feel. You know, Coach Stout always talks about getting your hips together. Hip to hip, like Siamese twins, Stout would always say. And so that's just a beautiful thing. They rolled that dude off, you know, I don't even know how many yards that was off the ball, but they rolled him. Look at that. It's a car crash. And these are things that I know, talking with Coach Stoutland in the past, you guys work this every single day, the same mm-hmm. drills every single day yeah. to work through that. Yeah, we have the same, the same drills every day. We have the same progression every day this whole year. So Stout's very big on you know, executing and not getting bored of the process or the process, you guys say. And, um, you know, not getting bored of the little things. And so we make sure that we're doing the right techniques and doing the same techniques over and over again. And one guy that you've spent a lot of time with here over these last couple of months is uh, the rookie left guard, Landon Dickerson. And I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on what you've seen so far from Landon. He is a bigger gentleman like yourself. So some of the things that he's able to do with his body, you're able to kind of share those same kind of qualities. Yeah, he's just a big oaf, hey. He's a big bopper. He's a big boy. The stuff that he can do physically is just insane. He's athletically gifted as well. For a guy to have as many injuries as he had, it's amazing how easily he can move because, yeah, the dude's playing great. He's playing out of his mind right now and just growing every day. You know, like I said, you know, just playing next to the guy every week, you can form that sort of relationship that you guys can get the timing down right. And look at that. You just see him and Kelsey just roll that dude off the ball as well. How often do you have to work that when you're as a bigger offensive lineman in terms of working with proper leverage and, uh, you know, you call it, you know, the, whether it's the shoot drills or just being able to consistently play low to high? I think when you do it, especially with Kels, Kels is very specific on hitting the technique. So these guys will do it. They'll hold themselves accountable, especially Kels. If it doesn't feel right, they'll keep doing it till it feels right. I and mean, that's just a credit to how Kelsey is. And, you know, he's teaching us to train the right way. Just looking at Dickerson here, you get a sense of his raw power, his ability to move defenders, tour guys, get them (laughs) up. What do you see in here from Landon here? 
Ah, uh, just a manhandling men. Oh my god, that's insane. <laughs> that's so funny. I feel like I've never seen this clip before. <laughs> oh my god, you just see it. Once you get your hands in, in, in the in the inside of the breastplate, you know you just it's game over. You get tight hands. Tight hands win the game. And just how strong he is, he's able to just manipulate that dude against his will. And obviously seeing this from a rookie, it was only, it was not that long ago that you were in his shoes. And obviously your journey to the NFL, to being a rookie, much different than his. Uh, what are the, some of the things that you've kind of parted on him? And I'm sure he's given you some things as well. Oh, yeah. Landon's, you know, as, as much as this is his first year, he's actually pretty wise, man. He's got a lot of words, has said some things that I've never heard before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think... It's kind of like the PB&J combination, you know? That's what we are, the PB&J combination. Just I like it. You can't have one without the other man. Are you getting used to the official name change now instead of it being uh, former rugby player Jordan Mailata, starting left tackle uh, Jordan Mailata, getting more of a better ring to it? Yeah, it's a great ring, to be honest. Um, not that I don't love my rugby pass, man. <laughs> I, I do, but, you know, this is what I want to be known as. I want to be known as a footballer, you know, a left tackle, an O-lineman. That's the life I live now. That's the life that I've bought into. And so I want to be known as it. So for that entire segment, make sure you go check out Tape Study. That's where the full 12-minute segment uh, is going to be posted. You can find that on all Eagles digital channels. Uh, A part of that interview will also appear uh, in Eagles game plan this week. So make sure you go check that out wherever you get your Eagles content. Could be your Eagles YouTube page, uh, Facebook, Twitter. It's going to be everywhere. Uh, Always great to be able to sit down with Jordan, one of my favorite players to talk to on the team. And he did an outstanding job breaking down some film of his teammates. We didn't get to too much of the film breakdown here in this segment. wanted to keep it podcast-friendly, but it was a really fun discussion. Make sure you go check out that entire segment. Again, it's called Tape Study. It should go up by Friday across all Eagles digital channels. That said, uh, let's get into the show. Excited to talk through this Eagles win over the Washington football team. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, let's get things going here with Chalk Talk as I welcome in Greg Cosell from NFL Films. And Greg, uh, fresh off watching this film of the Eagles win over the Washington football team, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball where the Eagles once again rush for 200 yards. It's the seventh game in a row that they've rushed for 175-plus. First time since the 85 Bears uh, that, the, uh, that an NFL team has done that, Craig. And uh, I know you want to talk about this offensive line and this performance in this run game against Washington. Uh, were you alive with, for the 85 Bears fan? Uh, they missed me by uh, about six months. Really? I see. Yep. I was alive, by the way. And I was uh, working at NFL. I mean, Pro you were doing the matchup show at that point, right? I was, actually. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I was doing the matchup show at that point. <laughs> we were in our second season. <laughs> I'm sure not as well as I think we're doing it now, but we sure. were still we were doing it. I'm sure if I looked at those shows, I'd probably cringe. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, you know. I watched this offensive line and I know they were playing with backups at, at left guard and, and right guard. And I got to tell you, I, I was just blown away by, uh, and, and the note I made, and I'm trying to find my note here because as you know, as probably you do, I take, uh, I take notes on this. And I said, what's consistently stood out with the Eagles run game was the overall athleticism and mobility of the O line and the cohesion with which they executed the different blocking schemes, both zone and gap scheme. My guess is you saw the same thing because I think it pretty much jumped out on the tape. But just, you know, it looked like synchronized swimming at times. It was really beautifully executed. You have to give uh, the O-line coach uh, a ton of credit. I mean, this 
you know, given that obviously uh, it was a Opetta, right? Started a left guard. Yeah. It was Sue Opetta and Nate Herbig. And, and that's the thing is yeah. that they're doing this with the out going into the season. Would you would have said to be their top four guards? No Isaac Samalo, no Brandon Brooks, no right. Jack Driscoll, no Landon Dickerson. And you're still running for 200 against a pretty good front that we highlighted last week. And they had all their horses back and, uh, for this game. And that played a ton of five man fronts, whether yeah. it was five D linemen or they also had when they went with uh, four two personnel, they would put the linebacker Jamin Davis on the line of scrimmage at times, which we know Washington has done all season. So, <clears throat> I mean, it wasn't as if they were running against light boxes, you know, Um I, I just thought the cohesion with which they executed their blocks was really something to see. And it's something that they drill every single day. Uh, I think back to a segment I did with Jeff Stoutland uh, last summer, summer of 2020. Um, uh, it was a coach's masterclass segment where we talked about uh, just the, the art of run blocking and how often, how they drill the same things over and over and over. And he talks about surfacing blocks, you know, uh, how the guys work in tandem with one another. Uh, they yep. have certain aiming points uh, with yep. how they strike a defender. And those have to be so precise. Uh, and it's something actually that I talked about with Jordan Mailata this week uh, over uh, on the Eagles game plan, which uh, we on this podcast heard a little bit of that interview earlier. But I think when you talk about uh, just how precise and how synchronized this run game is, how the, the, with the, with the blocking schemes, it's uh, it's, it's really, really fun to watch. It sure is. I mean, I've been fortunate in my career, obviously to go to training camps numerous times over the years and watching the offensive line coach, is, is really one of the funner parts, in, in my opinion. I should say the more fun parts, I guess. But because you you hit it right on the head, the detail and the nuance. I mean, these guys talk about hand placement to the, to the inch. They talk about moving one foot or the other to the inch. You know, they don't just say, well, move your right foot. You know, they, they talk about it. It's so precise and so detailed and so nuanced. And that's what they drill, as you said. I mean, you're, you know, you obviously are at a training camp every day with the Eagles. Like I said, I've been fortunate over the years to go to many training camps and be, you know, and through relationships to literally be standing right next to an offensive line coach while he's he's actually doing his work, you know, and it's it's really remarkable. And then to see it, I mean, I was, you know, I normally because there's so many things to watch for me, Fran, you know, I don't necessarily sit and study, you know, individual offensive line play when I watch games, you know, unless the game demands it. But in this case, because obviously I watched the game on TV last night. I knew that the Eagles ran for a lot of yards. So I said, you know, I'm going to really look at the O-line pretty closely. It was a joy to watch. Yeah, no question. And it's not just uh, the same old cast of characters of Jordan Mailata and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. While those guys excelled, uh, you got to give a lot of credit to uh, to Nate Herbig and to Sue Opeta. Those guys never looked like they were swimming uh, out nope. there. And that's a credit to those guys as well as to the coaching. But um, one thing that stood out to me, Greg, while uh, watching the game live on Tuesday night, it seemed like you know, we know the strength coming into this game was the the two defensive tackles inside, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. And it seemed like uh, the Eagles wanted to place a lot of emphasis on those perimeter runs. Hey, we're going to run a, a more outside zone. We're going to run some right. of those pin pulls, some of those speed option plays. Let's get these guys moving lateral, lateral, lateral. And then you get to like midway through the third quarter, into the fourth quarter. The Eagles are trying to salt this game away. They've got a two-score lead. Now you get Jordan Howard in there and you get the 220 pound back getting downhill on inside zone run. And you can still see that that's, these guys are a little bit gassed uh, on the defensive side of the ball. That's a, that's a tough ask for those guys after chasing everything laterally all game long. And that's a great point. A great point. And then also every once in a while you get lucky 
like on Sanders' 38-yard run, which was outside zone at a pistol, and they catch Washington's D-line on the play side slanting inside. And, you know, and whether they knew that was going to happen, I don't know that. Um, they might have known that. I don't we certainly didn't know that watching it. But you catch them slanting inside away from the play, you know, and that, as you recall, that allowed Jordan Mailata to get to the second level cleanly. And he he just laid some wood on Holcomb because he, he just had room to generate some power and velocity. So every once in a while that happens, too. And it, it, it really, you know, bodes well for your run game. But but your point is a really, really good one. And the out of 12 personnel, I mean, the Eagles were really, really effective in this game when you had Dallas Scott yeah. and Jack Stoll out there. Uh, and for a good chunk of it, especially early, Washington decided they were going to match up with their nickel personnel to well, that big 12, nickel. Yeah. 12 personnel. And the Eagles ran 14, 14 times for 107 yards, just over seven and a half yards a carry uh, going up against that nickel package in the run game. And so that was really, really effective for them from those 12 personnel looks. Um, getting back, the other quick thing I wanted to hit on, too, that I loved. And this is something you and I have talked about when the Eagles started making this transformation offensively, how important executing on third down. And if you're going to be a ball control team, how important it's going to be to, to be really sound on third and short third and medium. Cause not every run is going to go for seven, eight yards. You're going to face third right. and three, you're going to face third and four. And I think over these last few weeks, the third down game plans have been so good. We've seen new wrinkles and new complimentary plays. There were a couple last night that really stood out to me. Um, you know, we had some unique personnel packages. We saw some uh, unique motions and formations. We saw split back. We saw more pistol. Uh, you saw those the little return orbit yeah. motions. Uh, we saw Darius Slay in there on offense. Oh, yeah, Darius Slay got in, in the red zone. Really yeah. fun. Yeah, well, the one play maybe you're you're referring to, just as you're talking in general, is um, on the third possession on third and two, the Sanders 16 yep. yard reception, awesome, which came out came out of a shotgun pony package, pony being two two tailbacks as opposed to a tailback and a fullback. So uh, both Sanders and Howard were offset in the backfield. Really nice design, playing off the zone read inside zone action, and then the misdirection to the Sanders to Sanders releasing into the flat. Really, just a, a beautiful play. That again, you you're calling it to get a first down. You're not calling it to get a touchdown, uh, but it turns out to be 16 yards on third and two, and it was just really nicely designed and and, and building off base concepts. You know that's what teams try to thing. do yep. Yep. is they build off base concepts. Yeah, and later on we saw that pony set once again on that fourth and one where they ran the little uh, option play, the little pitch play rather, uh, to Jordan Howard. That came back due to a hold, but again, just kind of working yeah. in these different personnel packages, the different formations and different motions, uh, I thought it worked really, really well for them. And, and look, the third down numbers at the end of the day uh, weren't like eye-popping. I think they were like seven for 13 or, or something along those lines, six for 13. Well, that's good. But, there were a couple, but there were a couple drops in there. There were a couple, yeah. you know, there, there were some plays that were like, okay, like uh, those numbers could have been even better. While those numbers are good, and you know, if you're going 50-50, uh, that's going to be near the tops of the league. Um, yeah, it was just I thought the third down game plan especially was really, really impressive. Uh, let's get to Jalen Hurts. Uh, obviously, a big topic of conversation. Where uh, you know, a handful of minutes into this into this podcast, and we haven't mentioned the quarterback yet. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on what you saw from number one here in this game. Well, I'm going to start with a play that plays off your third down conversation here, because I thought a play that was that I really, really liked was the Rager 34 yard screen on third and six yeah. on the fourth quarter touchdown drive, because that was an audible. He saw the pressure front with the double mug look. Uh, he saw the man coverage on the outside and he checked to the boundary screen to Rager and they got Goddard and Johnson out in front. I thought that was really good pre-snap recognition by Hertz to a very simple, basic play, but a play that really was effective against what he saw. So again, playing off both Hertz, and we'll talk more about him in a sec, 
but just playing off the third down conversation. Uh, and obviously that touchdown drive basically sealed the game to a large extent. Uh, but I thought that was just a really good job by Hertz with, with understanding what he was seeing before the snap. And that's what you want to keep getting your quarterback working toward winning the down before the snap of the ball. So then the execution becomes relatively easier. It's never easy in the NFL, but relatively easier. And that's the, I feel like he, he in the, uh, in the pre-snap phase, Jalen Hurts has been really strong, uh, you know, especially when it comes to uh, checking the different run plays. And then you go back and you watch and you see how often uh, he's been active in that facet of this offense. And it's happened numerous times. That was a really good example that you highlighted the 34-yard catch and run from Jalen Rager. Obviously, the, the play that immediate, immediately <coughs> followed that uh, was one of the better throws and catches uh, of the night. And that was the touchdown, touchdown yeah. to Greg Ward. Which, which again, uh, it's probably not his call. It Maybe it's the coaching staff's call, but I think they went – no huddle on that, right? Didn't they come they did. right up? Yep. And they caught, you could see uh, Washington struggling yeah. to uh, get guys in yeah. off the field at that point. That is correct. And even struggling to get lined up properly. Yep. So, you know, that was obviously a, a really good call and a really good ball because it was basically back shoulder. Um, but overall, I thought, you know, Hertz played well. Um, you know, I think that he made some, some, some really good throws. You know, I think there's, there's always a couple where you say, hey, he's not quite there yet. Um, for instance, I'll give you a great example. I thought, obviously, his sack fumble is not a good play, but I thought that's a great learning play for Hertz and his continuing development. And I don't know how you saw it, but I saw it as a boundary read for Jalen Hurts. He had, yep. And he had got it on the skinny post, but he didn't turn it loose. Um, only he could tell you why. But to me, he also then, if he just didn't feel like Goddard was there, that's fine. If you don't feel like he's there, that's fine. But then he was, he's not quite advanced enough to where he could come back to the trip side where Gainwell was wide open on the delayed inbreaker. You know, that's a learning play, but overall I thought he played really efficiently played well. Um, you know, I think that the design of the offense in the past game was really strong and allowed him to be decisive and efficient. And uh, it, it was a really strong performance by Jalen Hurts overall. And you, you mentioned that play, the sack fumble. And obviously there's been a lot written uh, in the market right now about uh, that play, the interaction between both Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni on the sideline afterwards. Both guys talked about it after the game uh, on, uh, on Tuesday night. And said, so, yeah, like, you know, Jalen has let me know he wants to be coached hard. And so Nick Sirianni following through with that, I think having an understanding, and it's, it's something we talked about on the post-game show last night. I talked about it with Ike, Greg, where – the power of a coach to have that understanding of how to, which buttons to push with certain players. Hey, this is a guy, this is a guy that I can coach hard. This is a guy that you kind of have to, uh, you have to love up on, right. And you have to kind of bring along. And uh, I think that we've seen numerous cases this year. You can point to last night as well, but it's numerous cases, big picture this year where guys have come up short or they've made, you know, made mistakes and this staff has stuck with them and they've come through. And I think uh, a small example of that would be Jalen Rager. The last time this team played the New York Giants, uh, obviously he has a couple of those pivotal drops late in the game. What do we see the very next time uh, the team takes the field? He lays a key block on that Kenny Gainwell touchdown. He has the big catch and run yesterday. He also had uh, a couple of really nice blocks in the run game uh, in this game. So I think it's just, a lot, you know, uh, there are a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, there's got to be somebody else to play, but bench, bench Jalen Rager, put somebody else in. This staff showing that faith in some of these young players. Right. Dallas Goddard has that has that drop that leads to the interception on the opening drive. What do they do? The very next drive they come out, they hit Dallas Goddard for big completions uh, down the field. So consistently kind of sticking with these young players, understanding it's a young team. You're going to make mistakes. You got to kind of have to ride that wave. But I think we've seen that time and time again with the staff. 
Well, a couple of points. Number one, I, I always think it's really important for a quarterback to want to be coached hard because it's the it's the hardest individual position in sports. And even the great ones, they make mistakes or they don't see something and you have to coach them and they have to be willing to to do that. And I think Jalen Hurts, I don't know Jalen Hurts personally, but from what I understand, that's his personality. Two plays I just like to mention that I thought were real positive. Um, I thought the 21 yarder to Goddard on second and six on the second quarter TD drive was a really good play by uh, by Hertz. He he had got her on the crosser. It was one of the few times Washington played cover one. They hardly play any man coverage, but on this particular snap, they did. And I really liked Hertz pocket movement yes. sliding through his left while maintaining his downfield focus. That's that was a great route really, from Goddard too. Uh, outstanding yeah. route from Goddard. Yeah, that's what I really like to see. Yep. The other thing I thought was a really good play and, and plays to uh, – the elimination and isolation traits that every higher level quarterback must develop and have. I thought, and this play in the, in the course of the game probably seems like a nothing, but it was Watkins nine yards on second and seven in the fourth quarter. I don't know if you remember that play. Okay. I thought it was a really good example of Hertz working the progression because he looked to his left. That was the initial read. He didn't see it or he didn't feel it. Didn't feel a throw was there. And he came back to Watkins um, on the right. And I thought that was a really good example of staying poised, composed in the pocket, working the progression. And I thought his feet were tied with his eyes really well on that play. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so you know, I think that, you know, these are the things you look for in, in development. You know, another area he does need continued work on is the deep ball. Um, and and I, he does not have a naturally strong arm. So therefore, his throwing mechanics must be really good. And that's just something he needs to work on. Because right now, his deeper balls show a tendency to lose energy on the back end. But overall, I think we saw a really strong game. And just getting back to the overall offense, Last night, the run game was dominant and outstanding without Hertz really being a big factor in the no run doubt. game. Yep. There were not a lot of design run calls. He's yep. always going to have a few scrambles because that's part of his game. But I think there are only one or two true design runs called. And so that makes what they did in the run game even more impressive. No doubt. And it's two weeks in a row now because obviously he did not play against the New York Jets where uh, this team right. had a lot of success without utilizing Jalen's legs uh, as often on the ground. Um, real quick, you brought him up and I wanted to make sure we, we hit on him. Oh, Goddard. Uh, Dallas, we got to talk about Goddard. Yeah, I mean, Goddard, I mean, I don't know what else we can say. You and I have been talking about Goddard for, for years now uh, and just how we feel he's one of the more talented tight ends in the league. Wow. Now he's got that opportunity and, and we're seeing it come, come to uh, fruition. Well, I, was talking with, I was talking with my matchup uh, buddy, uh, Matt Bowen, today um, and uh, – we feel he's a top five tight end in the league. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the numbers may start to reflect that he's not going to end up with a hundred catches, but the numbers may reflect that. And what the numbers are going to reflect is, is a high um, yards per reception average, because that's what he's doing right now. But this, this guy, he, he can work the intermediate routes. He can work the vertical routes, like the wheel they threw to him, which obviously was that ball was a little underthrown, but he made a great catch. Um, he can run those kinds of routes so he can attack at the intermediate and vertical levels. He's a very good blocker, which you've documented numerous times when you and I have spoken and also in the work that you do um, for Eagles.com. Um, so, you know, he's a complete tight end. You know, I'm not going to he's not in the George Kittle category quite yet, but he's more like that than just a receiving tight end. That's the thing is that, you know, we always talk about it when we have these discussions over on the Journey of the Draft podcast, the more you can do, right? And I think when you look at uh, Dallas Goddard and his skill set, 
yeah, are there tight ends that can go and, and run down the field and make plays on a 45-yard catch? Sure, of course. There are a bunch of tight ends that can do that in the NFL. Uh, do those same tight ends also get left one-on-one with defensive ends on base blocks on the on the play side of runs? Not often. Uh, those no. same guys show that ability to create separation on an intermediate route or they get thrown passes in the screen game to create yards after catch. No, I mean, the, the guys that can do that and have that check all of those boxes, uh, you can you can count them all on one hand. And I think that that's what really kind of sets him apart and makes him one of the special talents at the position in the NFL. No, he's 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 a really good player. And yeah. and obviously, um, you know, if he stays healthy and, and we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, as we go forward, not only with this season, but next season. But I think Dallas Goddard is, is a fixture and he's he's a really good player. All right, let's go over to the defensive side where uh, I thought there were some really good things to take away from this game. And obviously, look, the, the Washington football team jumps out 10-0. Uh, you get the short short field on the, the second drive after the, uh, the interception, right? And so uh, they're able to put up some quick points. I thought the defense really kind of bounced back, though. You had that one long drive in the, in the second half. Uh, where you know you saw some trick plays in there, yeah, you know. But right, right. of that, Craig, I mean, we saw some really good play, uh, especially from this defensive front. I was really impressed by Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave uh, in particular. Yeah, I thought both of those guys really showed up. And so did the rookie Williams again. He's really good, Craig. He's going to be a docu- good player. I actually documented some of his plays. There were four plays to me that really stood out, and given that he only played about twenty snaps, that is really really good. Um, so no, he's he stood out a lot. Um, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job with some disguise and some late movement to get to different zone coverage concepts. They played a good amount of cover two. They got to it differently. Edwards was off in the middle hole defender. Um, but, you know, I thought, again, they didn't play as much man coverage in this game as they have in recent games. But obviously they felt that that was playing more zone coverage was the way to go in this particular game. Um, You know, because don't forget, you're playing a quarterback that hasn't been on a field in a long time. And man is much easier for a quarterback who hasn't played because he just picks out a guy he wants to throw it to zone. You kind of have to make him, you know, read things out and see what windows are available to throw the ball. So for a guy who hadn't played in a long time, that's that's much tougher to deal with. No doubt. I think I'll give some credit to Garrett Gilbert. He did not. This wasn't a guy no. and he's been in the league for seven years. Right. So uh, obviously he's he been around embarrass himself coaches. at all. He did no. not embarrass himself at all. No, not at all. And, but I think when you look at uh, the way, you know, if you were to put up on a, on a whiteboard, what are the goals for this Eagles defense coming into this matchup? And it's something you and I talked about here last week. You've got two primary weapons there. And Terry McLaurin, who had, you know, was far and away their biggest target getter in the past game. And Antonio Gibson, who was far and away their, their biggest threat as a runner. No J.D. McKissick, who was their second leading receiver and their second leading rusher. Uh, McKissick's out for this game. So uh, the Eagles held Gibson 15 carries, 26 yards. McLaurin catches two passes. Uh, uh, you can't ask for a better performance than that. You're going to go in and say, we're going to take away your top two weapons. Uh, good luck trying to get, you know, get into the uh, 17, 20, 25, 30 point range. No, it's a really good performance overall, just a really sound performance overall. You know, I think this defense is kind of finding its way. You know, what's interesting about the Eagles, and people will debate whether this is a Super Bowl profile or not. That That's a different debate. But the Eagles have a clearly defined identity now. They play a certain way. And, you know, like I said, you can debate, you know, whether that, hey, that, that's the kind of profile that leads to, to being in a Super Bowl. Uh, but they're obviously a great running football team. Um, uh, Hertz threw 26 balls last night. Uh, I think it was 26. He probably had with the scrambles about 30 dropbacks. So that's sort of, I think what they want to be. 
and their defense has now become very solid with an with a D line that can be dominant, which is a nice thing to have. Um, so they have a distinct profile of how they want to play. And, you know, it's a lot of teams still can't say that even this late in the season. The Eagles can't. What I like about it too is that we've we and you and I have talked about it almost on a weekly basis is uh, the the game plan and the philosophy will change depending on the opponent. Where you know sometimes we're going to see hey third down it's going to be heavy blitz heavy man coverage. Sometimes they're not going to blitz much at all. I only had a couple blitzes for them uh, on Tuesday night against Washington. They barely blitzed. Yeah, yeah, we they, didn't, we didn't even see like heavy stim pressure, right? So I think that just constantly kind of changing things up, keeping offenses guessing. Uh, it's been it's been fun to watch this group continue to evolve. And uh, obviously you've got these players such as Darren. Slay, uh, Fletcher Cox continuing to show out. Javon Hargrave uh, continuing you know, to show out. I tell you who I, I noticed on tape. I mean, I, and again, you know, I think we're not suggesting he's an all pro linebacker, but I, I thought Singleton showed up on tape in this game. Yeah. You know, he, he, he moves around, he makes tackles. Um, you know, he's, he, to me, he just showed up in this game. I thought it was a strong performance. I'm not charting every play or grading every play, so I don't know what the linebacker coach thinks. But I, to me, he showed up on tape. Sure. Well, I'd say uh, I thought both linebackers uh, showed up. I thought TJ had a good game uh, as well. Um, let's spin this forward here to this upcoming matchup against the New York Giants, a team that the Eagles saw just a few weeks ago in week 12 uh, up at MetLife Stadium. Now uh, they get them here on a short week at Lincoln Financial Field. Giants looking a little bit different uh, than what we saw previously. And we'll start I, on the offensive side of the football. You know, the big I, story going into <laughs> that game a few weeks ago, who's going to be the play caller. Jason Garrett had just gotten fired. Well, now we've got a four game sample of Freddie, uh, Freddie kitchens and Greg going back and just kind of looking at the numbers, some of the differences uh, that we're seeing from the first uh, 11 weeks through the first or through the last four, we're seeing more 11 personnel. We're seeing more empty. We're seeing more screens. The ball's coming out of the quarterback's hands yep. faster. So I think that kind of paints uh, a facet of this matchup to keep an eye on. Yeah. I, I just don't know what to say about this offense. It's tough right um, now. It, it's, I mean, you know, in all honesty, and, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or mean, but they're a tough watch. Um, I guess we don't even know who the quarterback is at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure what to say. The issue that they've had really all season, no matter even when Daniel Jones was playing, is they just don't have any consistent run game whatsoever. And you can talk about the changes, like you said, and those are tactical and conceptual changes. Yep. But when all said and done, they need to be able to run the football. Okay, whether you want to talk about running it out of 12 personnel, as they, which they played more of prior to Freddie Kitchens when Jason Garrow was there, or whether you talk about out of 11 personnel. It doesn't matter the personnel package. They've got to be able to run the ball, and they've not been able to do that. No, and, and Saquon obviously has been banged up. Uh, he returned actually in that game against the Eagles in week 12. Uh, hasn't quite looked like himself. Doesn't look like he's 100% healthy at this point, but uh, they have not been able to get a consistent run game going. And they, they've had pieces kind of cycling in around the course of that offense, pass catchers going in and out of the lineup, offensive linemen going in and out of the lineup. Obviously the, the musical chairs are quarterback these last couple of weeks with Daniel Jones injured. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough to kind of project from that standpoint, looking at this matchup. What, what, yeah, what I, I would say, I guess, is from a pass game standpoint, I wouldn't expect that whether it's Mike Lennon uh, or whether it's Jake Fromm, I don't think that they're going to be dropping back and holding onto the football and letting that, that rush get home. My guess is it'll be a lot of quick throws. Uh, let's get the ball out of the quarterback's hand as fast as possible. We're not going to let that D line take over the game. I couldn't agree more. And if it is Jake Fromm, they clearly need to have a run game or it's going to be too hard. Yeah. Jake Fromm needs a run game. So it's just, I mean, again, 
you never know. That's why they play the games. Uh, and unfortunately, because of the fluid situation with COVID, you don't know who's in and who's out. You don't, you don't know. Um, you just don't know. But if you look at this game, it, it, you'd be hard pressed to think that the Giants would be able to score many points. Going back and looking at that game from week 12, the one thing that stood out, uh, the Eagles early on, uh, heavy blitz, right? And we, we, that was a, during that point where we were seeing them blitz a whole lot, especially on third down. And the Giants overall, bad on third down. I believe they were three for 13 on third down that wow. afternoon up at MetLife. Uh, but a couple of those conversions were really well-designed cover zero beaters against cover zero. And then you saw the Eagles kind of say, all right, we're not going to send the house anymore. We're going to do more of these right. sim pressures, three-man rushes, where we're going to show pressure and then and then drop out. And they had a lot of success doing that. And so seeing that kind of chess match, uh, we'll see if that uh, takes hold here uh, in this game on Sunday as well. Yeah, I think you'll probably see. I mean, uh, again, my guess is you're going to see the Giants in a lot of third-down situations, and I'm very curious to see how the Eagles, you know, what the Eagles do tactically in those situations. Let's get over to the Giants defense. And this is a group that has been really fluid as well. Uh, you know, they've had some injuries up on, on the back end and also up front. Leonard Williams was out for a little bit, but uh, has come back. And Greg, the guy's playing with one arm right now. He's got that big brace uh, on his elbow. Uh, he, he has played really, really well, uh, especially, I mean, really over the last couple of years since becoming a Giant. But uh, Leonard Williams, one of the better players on that group. And then we've talked about that secondary, uh, just a versatile group back there, guys that can play a number of different positions. And uh, they use them in a lot of different ways. Yeah, no, I, you know, I actually think this defense and because the offense has been pretty poor, unfortunately for them, but I actually think their defense is pretty good. And I think their defense is not an easy defense to play against. Um, you know, keep in mind that uh, their, their pass rushers on the edge are two rookies, Ojolari and Roche. And in addition to Carter, who has improved as a pro as a pass rusher, he did not come out of Georgia as a big time pass rusher. And he, he may never be a stud pass rusher, but he's improved. Um, they play a ton of zone coverage. They're not a man defense. Um, their percentage of cover one, like Washington's, is among the lowest in the NFL. So, you know, they'll play some cover two. Uh, Crowder is their constant at linebacker. He literally yep. plays every snap in every package. Um, and then they mix and match in the nickel with uh, Raglan and, and Bernardrick McKinney, who looked like a really good player a few years back with the Houston Texans. and. Obviously, it didn't work out, but um, uh, and then in the secondary, they mix and match quite a bit. Um, I, I they were starting to play Aaron Robinson, the rookie, quite a bit. I think it, was he injured or was he COVID? Uh, I believe he was injured, but I'm not positive on that. Okay, because if he's COVID, he could be back. Because yeah. the last time he played, he played on the outside, and then after playing much of the year in the slot, um. And my guess is they they see him that way, which I kind of did, too. Watching him in college, I thought he could play on the outside and be good at it. Uh, but I think it's a pretty good defense, to be honest with you. I think, you know, they've been hurt by the fact that their offense just hasn't been able to sustain offense and put up points. Yeah, no, they definitely will present a challenge uh, in a number yeah. of different ways uh, for Jalen Hurts and this past game and the run game. Uh, we'll see if the Eagles can keep things going on the ground once again against this team. We'll be back uh, next week to break it all down. Greg, thanks so much for joining us here on the uh, the short week for the Eagle on the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it.
Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warm-ups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. You can even do it on Spotify now. I love when people jump on YouTube and give us uh, a thumbs up and leave the comments. So wherever you listen, leave us those ratings. Leave us those comments comments. Really, really appreciate everybody that has ha- taken the time here, especially as we get to the holiday season. You want to give me a gift. That's the, the best gift you can give me uh, is your rating, your comment, your question, whatever it is. If you leave a question, we will always answer it. Now, before we wrap up this show, uh, I want to get to some of the leftovers from Eagles game plan this week. Obviously, I, like I said uh, earlier in the show, Jordan Mailata, that breakdown segment, that appears in Eagles game plan, but also some great uh, discussions with Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell, that due to time constraints, I couldn't quite squeeze into the full 30-minute show of Eagles game plan, but I kept it all here for you. What you want from your quarterback is to see continued development. Yes. And that's what Jalen has shown. We know this offense became a run sort of oriented offense, but you got to be able to throw the ball as well. And that's the biggest thing that I was excited to see in that last game is that the passing game has evolved as well. It's complementing the running game, which is what you're going to need coming down the stretch. It was 20 of 26 passing the football with a couple of drops in there. Very efficient in the passing game. And that's what I'm most interested to see, too, coming into this game against the Giants. A lot's been talked about about his performance up at MetLife Stadium last time, but uh, his performance on the ground in that one. Remember, some of those QB counter runs, him getting downhill, he was gashing that defense. Ike, do you think that's something we'll see here in this game? Another week of recovery here off that ankle injury. I think from time to time, right, you got to pick and choose your spots uh, with Jalen because the most important thing is you want to keep him out there on the field. But you also want to have that threat of him being able to do that. And I thought we saw that at times last week versus Washington. But I also love the fact that he didn't use it as a crutch running the football. He sat in the pocket. He threw the ball. That is also going to make this offense difficult to defend. Him being a part of that running game, but also knowing that he can beat you with his arm also. Ike, you talked about last week, last time the Eagles prepared to play this team, that versatility on the back end. One of the better safety groups, I think, in the NFC. Yeah. You look at Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney, both guys had a big impact the last time these two teams played. Mike, when you go up against a, a secondary that has those two quality players on the back end that can do a lot of things, what does that mean for an offense and for a passing game? You have to understand what they do well, and you have to be able to anticipate what they're going to do. By down and distance, and when you study teams, you understand what they're going to do. So if they're going to come down in the box or if they're going to stay back, you understand that just based on the situation. And you understand anybody that's coached under the GOAT and Bill Belichick is going to have the ability to try to confuse an offense, a quarterback, especially a young quarterback. So Patrick Graham, you watch him with this Giants defense, his sub packages are the things that make this defense difficult at times to sort of dissect and anticipate what they're bringing at you. And that's part of their game plan. They're not the most talented over there, but the scheme and the fact that they are so versatile, I think can give offenses problems at times. And I thought the Eagles in the last game struggled with that a little bit earlier. We're going to have to have a counter to what they like to do. 
that versatility is led by players that they consider positionless players. Yeah. And a guy like Logan Ryan back there, a guy that you can use in so many different phases of your defense, it really helps them to just change things up and keep you guessing on the offensive side of the ball. This is something that's always been tough, even for veteran quarterbacks to deal with. The other thing that they ask quarterbacks to do with their pressures, because they're very good at designing them, is to read hots and get rid of the football quickly. And if you don't read the hots, very often the pressure will get to you and you're forced to leave the pocket or it will be a sack. And we saw that again against the Cowboys a week ago. But this is a defense that plays a lot of different personnel. They have different nickel packages, dime packages. They play a lot of different people in the secondary, and they move them around. Logan Ryan, Julian Love, they can play corner, they can play safety, they can match up to tight ends, which will be important in this game against the Eagles. But even though the Giants' record is not real good, this is not an easy defense to play against, and it will absolutely be a challenge for the Philadelphia Eagles' offense. It's a really uncomfortable position for the offense when the defense is able to take away your key guys. When you take away their best runner, you take away their best receiver, where do you go as an offense? And that's when you start to scratch your head. And I thought Jonathan Gannon's game plan was so good in taking those two guys away. It really leaves that team wondering, what do I do now? I think it's really interesting just the fact that there's nothing static about this defensive front. That was a great example there. Uh, Mike Quick, let's rewind a little bit. Going back to Week 12, remember the big talking point in that matchup? Freddie Kitchens taking over as the play caller for the first time. Well, now we've got a four-game sample. And just going back and watching the film over the last few weeks, I think we've seen some changes from Jason Garrett to Freddie Kitchens. The New York Giants, they're spreading it out more, more 11 personnel, more screens, more empty. What does that mean for this matchup? Well, I think it means that the Eagles are going to have to be more patient because the ball is going to come out a little quicker and they're going to spread it around. But you have to be patient on the defensive side because you may not get the hits that you want on the quarterback. But I think you have to play tight coverage on the outside because then that quarterback is forced to hold the ball a little bit longer. And if you can force him to hold it just a tick longer, it allows that pass rush to be more effective. But they have to be a little more patient because they're going to dink and dunk and try and move the ball down the field in that way. You get more of that disguise, more of that aggression from the Eagles secondary. And I increase the other big theme I've noticed over these last few weeks, Saquon Barkley, they're trying to get him going. And one run play that we saw often from them last week against Dallas, the trap run, where they get him going downhill. You get offensive linemen up into the linebacker's lap. What is it that you have to do to defend a run like that that gets right up in your face right away? Get off blocks quick. I mean, you know, these quick hitting plays are designed to sort of catch you on your heels. And Saquon is an explosive runner. He doesn't need a whole lot of daylight. And I actually like the way they're using Saquon here because it really forces him to be decisive with where he wants to go. And we know he can be explosive. You get in the open field. But as a defense, you want to make sure you're attacking those blocks as opposed to running around the blocks. And I believe against a trap, the big key is not the defensive tackle that's getting whammed or trapped on. Yep. It's the linebacker yep. recognizing that that play is happening and you have to replace where that D tackle was at. So I love the way TJ and Alex is playing the game, especially TJ. When he recognizes something, he's downhill and he's decisive. That's the way you're going to have to play against this run game of the Giants. And when you do that, you force guys to bounce the football. And if you can get Saquon going laterally rather than going north-south, then you're winning.
And be sure to check out all of Eagles game plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. on NBC10. Great stuff this week from Greg Cosell. Obviously, Jordan Mailata. Thanks to him and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovoCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.